Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19. All new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Those stories in just a moment, but first, a big challenge ahead for the new NDP government as public sector unions across the province prepare to go to the bargaining table. The teachers are first up to bat negotiating a new contract. Grace Key has more on what they want and why it puts the government in a tough spot. He hasn't even said anything yet. He gets a standing O. That's good. Well, this isn't the type of reception you would have seen under the Christie Clark government. John Horgan spoke to the BC Teachers Federation at their annual general meeting for the first time since becoming premier, setting the tone for upcoming contract negotiations. For the past 16 years, the people in this room have not been respected by their government, and that changed on the 18th of July last year, and I commit to respect you each and every day for the value that you bring to human beings' lives. Nothing, nothing's more important than that. The six-year collective agreement comes to an end June 2019 with bargaining to begin in less than 10 months. Salary is once again expected to be one of the top issues. Teachers in BC have the worst starting wages in Canada. And so given the number of jobs that still are vacant, we need more bodies from Manitoba, Ontario and Alberta. And when those starting teachers can earn anywhere from fifteen to $20,000 more per year, that's a problem. We just want to get to an agreement that's quick, that, that's quick, uh, that's amicable, and uh, one that gives certainty to parents uh, and everybody involved in our school system. So no commitment to give teachers a raise? Well, I think that's always one of the discussions. Teachers aren't the only public sector unions with contracts coming to an end next year. Some 300,000 employees, including doctors, nurses and college faculty, will all be negotiating, hoping for better talks between the NDP and unions. We have a government that believes, we think, in collective bargaining, and so the unions are all waiting for their share of the new wealth. and. Uh, of course, they're all hoping for similar things, and it's going to be a big bill for the government. Thanks a lot. Teachers hopeful they'll get a share in a piece of the budget. Grace Key, Global News. Now, teachers are not the only public sector workers looking for a raise. Keith Baldry joins us with more on the other contracts that are up next year and the potential costs, Keith. Uh, the cost is enormous. This, this is a ticking financial time bomb. And I can tell you there's a lot of nervousness in the NDP ranks because of the amount of money that is, that is involved. A lot of public sector employees have not had significant wage hikes for well more than a decade, and they are going to be looking for some, some uh, wage increases. But with every increase comes an enormous cost. First of all, uh, two, uh, 310,000 uh, public sector employees out there that are unionized, 180 contracts, a 2% raise in one year uh, increase to the salary works out to $600 million of a cost to the government treasury. On a three-year deal at 2% a year, a year, and I think that's the bottom line of what unions are going to be looking for, we're talking $3.6 billion in total cost over what is currently paid uh, in terms of the wage uh, costs. And to put that in some sort of uh, perspective and context, that is actually more than the entire government budget for social services. So it's an enormous amount of money. I caught up with Finance Minister Carol James uh, this afternoon. She admits this is going to be a tough slog 
dialogue, but she says it's all about balance, but she's mindful. People have got expectations they didn't have before. Well, I think we all know that the expectations are high after 16 years. It's, it's not a surprise to me. I think the expectations are high by employees. The expectations are high by the public who wants services and programs. That's the balance that we're going to have to find. And it's going to be very hard to find that balance because, uh, again, the wage bill could potentially be quite high, uh, high enough to turn Carol James' relatively small surplus into a pretty big deficit pretty quickly. All right, Keith, Keith, thanks for that. We are doing this to protect the land because we love you. This is with love. Protests intensify at the Kinder Morgan site in Burnaby today. Demonstrators back on scene to make their voices heard and their opposition known by zap-strapping themselves to the fence in an attempt to slow work on the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. Jeff Hastings has more on the growing conflict and the court appearance for some of those arrested yesterday. Uh, If I could have five people who will be in the first wave. Organizing their arrests in an orderly fashion. The willing zap-strap to a gate, protesting the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. We can't burn all that stuff in the tar sands or we will have complete climate disaster. This is saying that this is not the future that we want. The Kinder Morgan facility in Burnaby is the object of an injunction prohibiting any of these people from obstructing the work or access of company crews. That same injunction gives RCMP the right to remove them and as they have dozens of times the past few days, they do. So I'm here today because of climate change and because of the risks of tanker traffic and the pipelines if there's a spill. They are cowards! Monday night, Burnaby RCMP say they arrested four people. Mounties say not only were the protesters arrested for contempt of a court-ordered injunction and obstruction, they say officers were assaulted, suffering minor injuries, including one Mountie who was kicked in the head. It's really disturbing what's happening. To see all of those yellow vests last night attacking, they were very rough on everybody. Three of those arrested activists appeared in court Tuesday afternoon, held in custody, unlike dozens of others who have been quickly released. Their supporters spoke outside. You need to protect the people and not the pipelines. Kinder Morgan says the company respects the right to peaceful protest, but adds opinions about the project must respect the terms of the injunction in place and that safety is a top priority. As for the three in court, Uni Urchin and Terry Christensen have been released, promising to obey the injunction and return to court April 9th for a hearing. Suntree Johnson LaRue refused to acknowledge the court's authority and was ordered held in custody. The justice saying people acting in defiance of the injunction can expect arrest, but now cannot have confidence they'll be immediately released. Jeff Hastings, Global News. Janet Austin is set to become British Columbia's next lieutenant governor. Austin will become the 30th lieutenant governor of B.C. She has a long history in the not-for-profit sector, most recently as CEO of the YWCA Metro Vancouver. In a statement, the Honorable Judith Gishon has offered her congratulations and called Austin a champion of women's equality and social change. A formal transition will take place in the next few weeks. And Governor General Julie Payette making her first official visit to B.C. Conducting her customary inspections, then standing before the Honor Guard, Payette later met with Premier John Horgan and presented honours to 45 remarkable Canadians who were recognised for excellence, courage and exceptional dedication to service.
A break on daycare costs in this province is supposed to be right around the corner, but there are concerns tonight the government may not be able to deliver on its child care promises. Aaron MacArthur explains why some feel the new rules are confusing and may not be beneficial to everyone. At Little Owls Academy, the deadline is looming. Owner Andrea Worms desperately trying to figure out if she can afford the government's promised $350 a month break to parents. The administration part of it is a, is a struggle for us to be able to get this done for April 1st. Um, there's a lot, of, a lot more co- uh, questions that have come up now that the contracts are out. Uh, the math doesn't make sense. Child care providers have until March 27th to opt into the program. But if they do sign on, agree not to raise their fees for the rest of the year. If costs surge, many operators want to know they won't be left holding the cost overruns. When they opt into our plan for this year, we're going to give them a 10% uh, funding increase for their child care operating fund, which is an increase that has not happened in 10 years. We're also looking at increasing that in the coming years to support providers' operations. Giving parents a break, one component of the NDP's plan. Many believe, though, the biggest issue, still a lack of qualified staff. Child care advocates say the fee reduction, just the first step in fixing a broken system. It's been a long time since we've had any significant changes to child care in B.C. And B.C. has to catch up to the other provinces, to other countries that are much further ahead. At Little Owls, not opting into the program risks angering parents who were promised a sizable break in the February budget. We fully support reducing fees for parents, absolutely. That is something that is super important. But when there is that kind of money on the table being put into childcare, you would kind of hope that they would also take some of that and put it into the bigger problem, which is spaces. More spaces and more qualified early childcare educators, long-term solutions the NDP says will roll out over the next few years. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And speaking of child care, many parents are struggling to find it with spring break in full swing. It used to be a week-long vacation, but it stretched to two weeks a few years ago. Tanya Beja now on why some are asking school boards and the province to reconsider. No rules to follow, no schedule to stick to, and no complaints from kids about a two-week spring break. But for parents, the time off can be a challenge to fill. Sometimes we can't get the time off, so we have to put the kids in camps. And how much does that cost? Uh, usually about 200 a week per kid. Yeah. Sometimes it's grandparents like Lila Halicki who step in. Oh, money. Today, caring for her two grandsons. Next week, I'm getting the other children from the Okanagan to look after them while mommy and daddy can work. Around the province, most of the larger school districts run a two-week spring break. Vancouver made the change in 2010 for financial reasons. Where the savings comes from is not having to bring in substitutes for that extra five days a year. And in Vancouver, that's roughly $100,000 a day. But those cost savings may come at the expense of parents and businesses whose employees now need extra time off. It's very difficult for smaller employers to find uh, ways to manage those uh, full two weeks and ensure they have enough people to make their operations go. According to Patty Backus, the Vancouver School Board saw fewer absentee days among students and staff following the longer vacation, but she acknowledges the benefits don't apply to everyone. 
kids who have families who can uh, spend time with them and take them to cultural events or go traveling can actually benefit uh, even academically from the breaks. Uh, but kids who are left on their own, uh, perhaps just playing video games, are, are certainly going to probably fall behind. BC's education minister says the length of spring break is up to individual districts. If there is a view that is united and that is calling for the province to you know, coordinate with school districts, uh, we'll take it from there, but I have received no such proposal. Parents, meanwhile, looking for ways to keep busy. She's already asking to go back, though. She, and she's at the countdown's on to go back. Tanya Beja, Global News. A WestJet flight had to make an emergency landing in Nanaimo this afternoon. The company confirms flight 3161 from Vancouver to Nanaimo declared an emergency when smoke was noticed in the cabin and flight deck upon approach into the Nanaimo airport. The crew was able to ask for priority landing, and when it did so, passengers safely made their way off the aircraft. No word yet on what caused the smoke. But first, fire damage to a heritage home in Vancouver is sparking a fight that's heading to courts. The mansion went up in flames under suspicious circumstances last October, and while the owner wants to tear down and rebuild, the city says no way. Ted Chernecki has more on this, and Ted... Explain, if you can, what's going on here since the fire and why the city is sticking to its guns. Well, Chris, uh, to use the gun metaphor, what we might have here is the gunfight at the OK Corral. It's high noon. They're eyeball to eyeball. The city and the owner of this property behind me, each waiting for the other to blink. Though the ongoing battle over what to do with this Shaughnessy mansion might seem to bring to light new issues, in fact, they are not. For years, there's been a group of very wealthy owners here who've been very opposed to any rules by the city telling them what they can or cannot do with their multi-million dollar properties. The city has made a move to want to preserve that area as a historic area. So many of the people who are buying those lots, they want to build, they want to put their own stamp on the thing. They're not interested in what's old what's already there. Vancouver's already rejected the owner's wish to tear down what's left of this 1910 heritage home, ordering instead that the home be repaired. And twice the city has asked the offshore owners to install weatherproofing tarpaulins to protect the interior. Having not complied, last week the matter was handed over to the city's prosecutor's office with the intent to lay charges under the heritage property standards of maintenance bylaw. And some believe that's a bylaw the city simply must enforce. Saying, well, you know, the laws are kind of optional, and if you push hard enough, if you play chicken, uh, that the city won't follow through. I'm, they'll realize that they've put millions of dollars worth of public money into developing the programs, that if they begin to cave on it, then, um, you know, effectively that money is down the drain. Other heritage-laden neighborhoods like Grandview or Strathcona don't seem to have this conflict as often. Here, homeowners are more eager to embrace the past. But it seems the bigger the property, the bigger the potential battle. And Chris, I should point out that the Vancouver Fire Department now says they believe there was one ignition point in that house behind me, not four as previously reported, but they still believe it was deliberately set. And they also add that they don't have enough evidence at this point to recommend arson charges. Chris, Sophie? All right, thanks for the update, Ted. Another example of why our real estate market gets so much attention. Take a look at this listing on Barclay Street in Vancouver's West End. The house can be yours for about $7 million. The single-family home is 96 years old, advertised as needing a little TLC, 
Or if renovating isn't your thing, rezoning allows for almost 6,500 square feet of living space. Experts say it's just another sign of how expensive the housing market still is, despite taxes being introduced to try to curb the frenzy. We went full evacuation mode. We got seven horses out, two pigs, two dogs. A close call at two separate riding arenas in rural Alberta. The roofs on both facilities collapsing within hours of each other, likely due to heavy snow. Nine people escaped from this Okotoks horse boarding barn with seconds to spare. Hours earlier, the roof on a riding arena in Millerville, southwest of Calgary, caved in. Our meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now to talk about the possibility of snow in our forecast, Christy. That's right, Soph. Now, last week I spoke about uh, taking snow tires off based on the stats at YVR. And there is a low chance of snow accumulating there, but we didn't talk about higher elevations of the lower mainland. And starting Thursday night through Saturday, the freezing level is going to drop to about 300 metres at night. And this means there is a chance of snow over higher terrain with accumulations. Wet snow could fall lower down, but we're not expecting accumulations actually on the ground. Either way, best to keep those snow tires on for another couple weeks. All right. Thanks, Christy. Canada's privacy commissioner is now investigating after a B.C. whistleblower exposed a scandal involving the private information from millions of Facebook users in the U.S. Rumina Dea has the latest on the investigation and some tips on how you can protect yourself. Speaking out for the first time, Cambridge Analytica's CEO calls the allegations of an online data breach a witch hunt. We see this as a a coordinated attack by uh, the media that's been going on for very, very many months. These sorts of tactics are very effective. Alexander Nix now suspended after undercover video from a British broadcaster revealed him suggesting the possible use of bribes, sex workers and dirty online tactics to take down political rivals. I mean, it sounds dreadful thing to say, but these are things that don't necessarily need to be true. These allegations are very serious. BC's former privacy commissioner now in charge of the British investigations after whistleblower Christopher Wiley, also from BC, alleged Cambridge Analytica exploited the personal data of 50 million Facebook users without their consent in order to influence the 2016 U.S. election. I don't think that we should put all the responsibility on users to protect their own data. Denham says Cambridge Analytica is refusing to cooperate. Governments in Europe and North America are calling on Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg to testify. The hashtag delete Facebook now trending. While many users are dumping their accounts, experts say breaking up with Facebook is not that easy. The, the punchline to it all is that we can't control it. So the, the cat's out of the bag. You know, we can, contr- we can control technology, but we also are, are controlled by it. Pressing delete doesn't make it disappear. Your personal information is alive online forever. The only way to keep it private, don't post. Asking yourself if at the end of the day you would uh, even spend a dollar to post this. If your answer is no, maybe the information you're giving away is worth a lot more than a buck and you might want to slow down and ask yourself what could the long-term impacts of this be. Romina Dea, Global News. The race to catch a killer is even more urgent in Texas tonight, where police say a serial bomber may have struck again. A package bomb injuring one person today as it rocked a FedEx facility near Austin, the site of four previous blasts, two of them deadly. 
Tonight, the race to identify a suspect growing more urgent. A new bomb that may be linked to the serial bomber exploding just after midnight on a conveyor belt at this FedEx facility in Shirts, Texas. Female worker was knocked off her feet, suffered a concussion. Police emergency calls revealed the bomb was designed to kill. There were nails and metals in the bomb. I was going to Austin and Gilden and seeing if I created it at this time. FedEx says the person who sent that bomb also sent a second package, which police are now investigating as suspicious. How did you know that there was something going on? Brian Jaime works at the facility where that package, which did not explode, was discovered. Everybody was kind of freaking out. I was kind of a little freaking out because what if I picked up that box? Tonight, investigators believe both packages were shipped from this FedEx facility in an Austin suburb. The bomber or whomever dropped off the packages may have been captured on surveillance cameras. People here nervous. The murderer might have possibly been across the street here is very unsettling. University of Texas police warning students, put your phones down while walking. Watch where you step. Take your earbuds out. The president also weighing in today. This is obviously a very, very sick individual or maybe individuals. Investigators are working on the theory this bomber is experienced, capable of quickly changing methods and tactics. The first three package bombs left on doorsteps, then another bomb detonated with a tripwire, and now a device sent through a delivery service, but exploding on its own on that conveyor belt. That's a failure. So he's going to have to regroup now. He's going to have to come back to an old technique. We might see a small lull here, and then the activity pick up. One student is fighting for her life and another wounded after the latest school shooting in the U.S. Just before classes started, a 17-year-old student armed with a handgun opened fire inside Great Mills High School in Maryland. A 16-year-old boy was critically wounded and a 14-year-old boy hurt. The gunman, who police say was an honor student, died in a shootout with a deputy sheriff stationed at the school. It's believed the shooter had a previous relationship with the female student. Well, first there was the Apprentice contestant, then the adult film actress, and now a former Playboy playmate is filing a lawsuit linked to Donald Trump. The news of more legal trouble for the U.S. president comes as we learn the results of the porn star's polygraph test. Playboy playmate Karen McDougal says she was paid off to stay silent by an associate of President Donald Trump. McDougal claimed she had an affair with Mr. Trump in 2006. And in a lawsuit filed today, McDougal says AMI, the company that owns the National Enquirer and whose chief executive is a friend of President Trump's, paid her $150,000 to keep her story secret. McDougal claims the agreement is invalid because the media company and her lawyer at the time misled her about the deal. And the parallels are striking to Stormy Daniels, her attorney releasing this photo today, which he says shows the adult film actress taking a lie detector test in 2011. NBC News has obtained the polygraph report, which shows the examiner determined she was truthful. Michael Avenatti telling NBC News they paid $25,000 for the video. We caught wind of the fact that there were a number of third parties, some in the mainstream media, that were attempting to purchase the video and the file for use uh, in what I will describe as uh, nefarious activities. The exam was requested by Life and Style magazine, which interviewed Daniels about her alleged 2006 affair with Mr. Trump. When Daniels was asked if she had unprotected sex with Donald Trump, she answered yes. The White House has repeatedly called those claims 
false. He's denied all of these allegations. And in a third case, a defamation battle by former Apprentice contestant Summer Zervos. Today, a New York judge ruled the case can go forward and denied the Trump lawyer's request for immunity. Mr. Trump's lawyers had argued he deserved immunity for being commander-in-chief. Zervos says Mr. Trump groped her in 2007. As a candidate, Trump repeatedly denied her claims and those of other women who accused him of misconduct. They are all false. They're totally invented fiction. And in news of a more regal nature, you can call him now Sir Ringo, or Sir Richard to be more precise. The former Beatles drummer receiving his long-awaited knighthood from Prince William. Ringo Starr waited decades for the recognition and says it means a lot to him. The 77-year-old used his real name, Richard Starkey, for the honor. Paul McCartney was knighted back in 1997. In Health Matters tonight, B.C. researchers are looking to the ocean in their ongoing effort to combat the AIDS epidemic. Linda Aylesworth explains how a natural compound could potentially help decipher viruses and develop future HIV therapies. The number of new HIV infections is down worldwide, but the virus that causes AIDS is still very much a concern, killing a million people every year. It's quite amazing and awe-inspiring how quickly it can mutate and how it can adapt to its environment. At a molecular virology lab at Simon Fraser University, researchers are trying to tackle the epidemic naturally. So we've looked at a lot of different traditional medicines, the plants that they come from in particular, and we've tried to isolate the compounds from these plants. But not all the natural sources come from land-based life forms. UBC's chemistry department shared specimens from a diving expedition. We took about 250 compounds that he had found from sponges and other marine sources, and we tested to see how many of them actually might stop HIV, and it turns out six of them did. This Jaspis sponge was one of them. From it, they isolated the compound Benjamide. It seems to work differently from how licensed drugs work today. And we think in particular it's working to stop further expression of HIV once it's infected a cell. The hope that Benjamide might keep reservoirs of the virus that elude the immune system and other drugs from making more virus, allowing those infected to live long, healthy lives. And it's, it's amazing to think about how many more are out there. Um, I mean, we've barely touched the surface on natural compounds out there. But how much longer will the reefs and tropical forests be there for us to discover, what with climate change and human encroachment? These are ecosystems that we really need to preserve and maintain. Uh, If we lose these, we're going to lose a lot of medicinal uh, leads. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A stellar save in Fanny Bay on Vancouver Island for the Vancouver Aquarium's Marine Mammal Rescue Team. Oh my gosh. Sorry, big girl. Okay. Crews darted and sedated a female sea lion who was struggling with that nylon rope cutting deeply into her neck. The team was able to cut her free from the plastic. Unfortunately, another young stellar entangled in a plastic strap, evaded the team's rescue attempt. The aquarium says ocean plastic pollution is becoming a crisis and people need to reduce their plastic waste. 
We've had several reports of uh, sea lions entangled in gear, garbage, uh, mostly plastic garbage. Those animals are suffering very, very badly. Uh, the injury, injuries are devastating. A British man rides the world's longest zip line backwards. His dream of jetpacks for everyone coming up after Christie's forecast. Sign me up as soon as they're available. Okay, let's check in on that forecast. Uh, it's springtime now. Yes, isn't that nice? It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so today we changed over to spring officially at 9.15 a.m. And that means on this day, we have equal day and night, nearly. Uh, and then from here on in, the days get longer and longer in the northern hemisphere. So lots to look forward to. Although I would say today didn't really feel like spring. It was fairly gray, mostly dry, though, but we're going to get wet tomorrow, that's for sure. So we've got a band of rain that's going to spread into the northern part of Vancouver Island. Metro Vancouver, lower mainland of Victoria just about a 40% chance of showers, but we certainly could see some showers tomorrow. But along with some breaks of sunshine, you can see towards the latter part of the day, some breaks, but it rain, the rain continues across the northern regions. The northeastern corner of the province, a winter storm watch in effect for you. You could see up to 10 centimeters of snow and very windy conditions. So we are worried about whiteout conditions. That's in through the BC Peace River area up into Fort Nelson. And then all regions will get very wet on Thursday. And we will see that uh, rainfall right across much of the province. And that's when temperatures are going to drop. How much rain? Well, over the next 24 hours, so tomorrow, just 2 to 6 millimeters, not much. But into our Thursday, so by Friday morning, you can expect a good 40, 45 millimeters of rain. So certainly uh, Thursday is going to be wet and very cold. We talked about that freezing level dropping late Thursday. So higher elevations, that's where we could see a few accumulations. Most other regions, you may see some wet snow falling in the sky, but no accumulations expected on the ground. Nonetheless, you do uh, can expect uh, the need for snow tires, that's for sure. Okay, so there's that winter storm watch in effect, and we are expecting mostly dry conditions across the south tomorrow, but it is Thursday that you can expect to be wet. And meanwhile, the south coast region, mostly wet across the northern regions, just a chance of showers across the southern areas. Thursday, we get wet with heavy rain. Friday, a little bit lighter, and we will see rain into our Saturday morning but drier later on but again it's overnight through the early morning periods that we have that potential of wet snow higher up great shot for the first day of spring Faye Cornish sent us this and you can see the little guy gathering some material I'm assuming for a nest for the little ones what a shot mm-hmm. isn't that amazing really cool thanks Faye well and done thanks Gordo, uh, Christy. Gordo Christy a little too familiar there uh, <laughs> that's what happens when you're buddies when you work with your buddies Thanks, Christy. <laughs> now back to that zip line and the man who took a ride on it in a human propulsion jet suit. Richard Browning is the founder and chief test pilot of a British aeronautics and technology startup. In 2017, he set the world record for the fastest speed in a body-controlled jet engine bodysuit. Yes, it's a cumbersome title. He reached 32 miles per hour then, that's about 51 kilometers an hour. Well, yesterday he sped along tethered to velocity the longest zip line in Europe hitting 55 miles per hour as he flew up backwards. That's nearly 90 kilometers an hour. Monday's event was closely followed by Guinness World Records, hoping his achievements will help inspire a new generation of technology innovators. But pretty amazing accomplishment. Yeah. That's the like need for speed. Yeah. I need to the be Walmart. tethered. I don't know if I could steer that thing <laughs> properly. No. I'd be a good safety harness. I think you'd want mm-hmm. the tether. Yeah. Barry's in for Squire tonight. Yes, yes, uh, untethered.
Flying without a net. Gonna let it all hang. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I'm entering. Yeah. Uh, Barry is here, and the red card controversy just continues for the White Caps. Well, it's kind of head scratching when you look at the video and how bad the video is. Like, you know, this is supposed to be like a court case. You're supposed yeah. to have some sort of evidence, and it was uh, hard to tell. All right. Thanks, Chris and Sophie. The uh, White Caps are back home this Saturday, taking on the LA Galaxy at BC Place. And while they are certainly preparing for that game, the Caps are having a hard time letting go what happened to them on the weekend in Atlanta. Early in the match, Captain Kendall Waston was sent off for a foul in the box, but that decision was made after video review, and that's the part the Caps are seeing read about. Yes, an Atlanta player did go down, but the replays seem so inconclusive. It's hard to see, hard to believe that out of all that, there is indisputable evidence that a foul occurred, and it very much altered the path of the game. The Whitecaps lost their captain. They were down to 10 men. Atlanta scored on the ensuing penalty. The Caps chased the game and lost 4-1. But they are appealing the red card, hoping to save a one-game suspension for Waston after coach Carl Robinson talked to the league's officiating director. Uh, I had a very good positive conversation with Howard Webb over the weekend, and... Uh, told him what I thought about about it. Uh, he gave me his thoughts, which was a, a very positive conversation. So we'll, we'll appeal. Uh, we'll go through the independent panel. We know that. And hopefully uh, common sense comes out. VAR is there for a reason. Uh, it's there to get these decisions right. Uh, and I didn't think that was the case on the weekend. So as I said, I spoke to Howard about that. And, and obviously my thoughts on not just that official, but a number of things. The Canucks start a four-game road trip tonight in Vegas. Just 10 left on the schedule for Vancouver. No team has more regulation losses than the Canucks, so they lead the league in something. And as they ride a six-game losing streak, they are now just a point ahead of last place Buffalo in the standings. Brendan Leipzig, who the Canucks got from Vegas at the trade deadline, plays against his former team tonight. Leipzig's been excellent, six points in nine games as a Canuck. NHL tonight, Winnipeg Jets own the best record among Canadian teams this year, fifth over Overall, 96 points. Taken on L.A. No scoring until mid-second. Kopitar to Dustin Brown. Nice execution of the two-on-one. One-nothing L.A., but late in the second. Mark Scheifele to Kyle Connor. Maybe a rookie you haven't heard about. He's got 26 goals. One of the reasons the Jets are right up there. 1-1 after two L.A. and Winnipeg. And we'll show you West Van's Morgan Riley and the Leafs in Tampa. Toronto pretty much locked into third in their division. Could possibly meet Tampa in the first round. Likely Boston. First period, James Van Riemsdyk scores his 32nd. one nothing after one. Second period now on the power play. It's JVR one more time. His 33rd. He's got seven goals in his last four games. 2 nothing Leafs. And they're not done yet. Zach Hyman will score here to give uh, Toronto a 3-0 lead, although Tampa Bay has roared back with three straight goals, and we have an update. Oh, now four straight goals, so Tampa 4, Toronto 3. Those three-goal leads are certainly unsafe these days in the NHL. Women's World Curling from Thunder Bay, Ontario. Jennifer Jones and Canada looking to stay perfect, taking on Denmark. Tie game in the sixth. Jones, the routine takeout for two, led 6-4. One-point game in the eighth, but Jones with a chance to blow this one open. An open draw for four, and she has got it. Canada really piling up the points in this tournament. Third time in four games, they've hit double digits. 10-5 over Denmark, so they're 4-0, and and they're on the ice right now, leading Scotland 7-6 in the 10th, trying to go 5-0. and 
NBA tonight, Raptors trying to start a new win streak in Orlando after having that 11-game streak snap Sunday against Oklahoma City. Late first half, Kyle Lowry. Step back three, 52-51 at the break. Lowry with 16 at the half. Toronto rested DeMar DeRozan and Fred Van Vliet tonight. Magic made a big run in the third. Bismack Mac Biombo, the former Raptor, with the jam. Orlando led by eight in the fourth, but Toronto goes on a 16-2 run to start the quarter. Lowry to Lucas Nogueira, and then later on, Lowry misses. Looks like it hit the rim. They didn't reset the clock, so Lowry has to shoot another one, and that goes down. He had seven three-pointers. Raptors win 93-86. They've now won nine straight on the road, and they got a big one tomorrow in Cleveland against the Cavaliers and LeBron James. The Vancouver Giants get to do something this week they haven't done in four years, and that's play a playoff game. Giants and Victoria Royals begin their best-of-seven first-round series Friday in Victoria. The Giants are getting into the spirit of this playoff thing by designing their own t-shirts it's a playoff t-shirt yeah no it's a it's a t-shirt we kind of designed as, as a group as a team and um it's a little bit uh, of everything we kind of work for and, and we got a little shark tooth here and some four pillars over here and uh just had some fun with it uh and you know just kind of gets a little bit more exciting for uh, some playoffs you got the city skyline on there as well what does it mean ty i mean you managed to play a couple of games many years ago as, as a rookie but for this franchise to get back in and and for guys to maybe make a difference it's huge it's huge for for our group and for the fans especially in our ownership group uh you know you look back at the winning tradition the giants had and and to finally get back into playoff mode and playoff action it's exciting stuff should be a good series. The, the Giants have actually matched up pretty well against Victoria, but two really good teams, so be fun to watch. All right. Thanks, Barry. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Barry. Here's today's snow report. Definitely more snow will hit all of the mountains in British Columbia over the coming days and into the weekend. Whistler Blackcomb base right now, 290 centimeters, 415 grouse, 405 cypress, 381 sasquatch. Revelstoke, a base of 256, Manning Park, 208, 267, Powder King. And Mount Washington, base 219 centimeters. Big White, 302, 253 at Silver Star, 230 Sun Peaks, and about 280 for Apex. Coming up on ET Canada, the Crown responds to their wage gap controversy and makes amends. Plus, Shamar Moore with love and action on and off the set of SWAT. That's coming up at 7, right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris and Sophie. Excellent. Thank you, Paul. Ever wondered what life is like more than 200 meters below sea level? I just watched The Little Mermaid. Yeah, well, you know that. <laughs> exactly. Some cool stuff down there. 2,000 right. leagues, I've heard, but not 200. <laughs> well, a research expedition in real life with links to a legendary ocean explorer is going to new depths off BC's central coast for the answer. Kylie Stanton has more on the mission and what was found. Oh, my God. Oh. 500 meters below the surface, deep into underwater fjords. Technology is allowing researchers to quite literally boldly go where no man has gone before. We were looking at the deep sea, so everything below 200 meters, which has never been done before. So that was quite exciting. We had a drop camera, which we dropped off the back of the ship, and we would pull it along behind us and film what was there. Alexandra Cousteau is following in her grandfather's footsteps, joining Indigenous leaders and scientists for the expedition just off BC's central coast. They spent a week gathering never-before-seen footage of rare reefs, corals, rockfish and sponges. We've got a full field of view of these 
pom-pom sea anemones. Live streaming it all online while collecting data to help identify ecologically important areas for marine planning and protection. We certainly discovered some astounding habitat, very fragile and uh, species that are uh, vulnerable and would take a long time to recover if damaged. And with the federal government committing to protect 10% of Canada's oceans by 2020, the work has never been more important. We can't have places on the map that we don't know the resources that are there, or we don't know how to best protect it. So this baseline information is where everything starts from. These are animals. The next step is to rebuild and restore, a monumental task now in the hands of this generation. Our hope is that um, the work that we do will help shine a light on not just the deep sea, but the importance of oceans for everyone. Kylie Stanton, Global News.